0: Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath binded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the, the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, Much more they which receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered. That the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to take our text from the table this morning. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I remember, I probably told you this a couple of times, but it's in line with what we're talking about this morning. I had the privilege a lot of the years, actually just before I came into ministry, I had to stop when I came into full-time ministry, but I used to go down to uh, Tilly's Burner, Belmont Nursing Home, and hold a service. And there was a gentleman there, Alfie. And Alfie was a character and he had nominated himself as a spokesman, so I sang a few hymns and I would preached a word. He thanked me on behalf of the residents. And then, of course, he had to tell me a joke. Lovely man. But one time we was preaching down there and he asked, could he speak to me privately? And so we got him, uh, Jackie McNeice, Sally and Royce. Uh, Neice, she was the coordinator. Uh, she helped me bring him out uh, somewhere private. And he told me, I'll not say which church, but he had gone to a particular church all of his life, and I mean all of his life. His parents were members of this church when he was born. He went there, he was christened there, uh, he, he grew up there, went to Sunday school there, met his wife there, they got married there, all his children were brought, uh, christened, and then uh, he had been made an elder because of his faithfulness and so he'd been an elder there actually most of his adult life and then he shocked me he said see what you were saying this morning he said, no one has ever told me I needed to be saved you see he thought going to this church and being an elder in this church that automatically made him a Christian being confirmed in this church I think was the word he used and it was a great pleasure of leading him to the Lord and you know, there's many like that. Remember the little Pastor McCulloch telling me a similar story of a man who came along to Strandtown through a wedding or through a marriage. An elderly man, a, a widower married a widow. And Pastor McCulloch was talking to him and led him to the Lord. And he was an abrupt man, I'm told. I don't know him. He passed away long before I started to come. But the minister from the church that he was going to Come out to visit him with his new wife in this new home, and he led into him, and he said, "Why did you never tell me I needed to be saved?" Of course, the minister couldn't answer. He told, "I could have wanted a lost eternity, and you never once told me I needed to be saved." And like I said, it's typical of many people, but we need to tell people today that they need to be saved. We need to be saved. You can have went to a church all your life, being a faithful member, worked hard, being a teacher, a preacher, but you need to be saved. And for someone to be saved, they need to know there's such a thing called sin. And you know, one preacher I heard once said that to say to people they have sinned, it's a blow to their ego. And they try and rationalize their sins rather than admit and confess them sort of trying to take the, uh, any, any fault if there was such a fault away from them but you know the truth today that all men need to hear particularly today as we believe these are the last days the truth is that sin is a problem that affects everyone sin is a problem that affects everyone we can sit here and say well we're church every week I give every week I pray I do this is there a bit of pride there? Because that's the way the Pharisees spoke. And Jesus condemned it. And so we need to watch ourselves. Because sin is a problem that affects everyone. And sadly, it's a problem that takes many to a lost eternity. Many good people. Many people I've loved dearly. And none have entered a lost eternity because they didn't want to know that they were sinners and didn't want to know about God. It was too big a challenge for their lives, for their lifestyle, whatever. And that's the saddest thing. And it's a problem that suppresses our Christian walk if we let it and keeps us from glorifying the Lord. You know, the main topic of the Bible, we know, is the revelation of God, who he is, and what he did for mankind. And... From all the other subjects that the Bible looks at, the subject is sin is given extensive treatment above all else. More than any other subject, apart from the revelation of God and who he is, what he did. And that makes it very important because God believes it's important because it's in his word extensively looked into and reported on. So what's the nature of sin? Well, it's important to note that people are born into sin. A famous verse from uh, uh, Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Do you know I heard someone once say that that meant his mother wasn't married when he was born? That's not what it means. It means that you were born a sinner. And men become slaves to sin because they voluntarily yield their, yielded to their sinful nature. Paul said of this in Romans 6 and 16, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves your, yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And so the truth is we are all sinners by birth. And Adam and Eve's fall brought that upon us. But when we become sinners by practice, we are responsible, we are personally responsible to God for the sins that we commit. When we become sinners by practice, in other words, by our lifestyle, you see, contrary to what some tell us, it is not our environment that makes us a sinner, it's not your socioeconomic background which makes you a sinner. It's not your peers that make you a sinner. It's your nature. My last job, I used to see a lot of people who had got themselves in trouble and they got this very well-paid barrister to stand up and talk about the hard lives they had and the area they lived in and the influence of peers. All excuses for what they had done. But you know something, church? the greatest barrister in the world and there are good godly men and women there doing that job but there are going to be no good to you in the day when the Lord returns if you're still in your sins because there's no excuse about your environment there's no excuse about your socio-economic background there's no excuse about your friends made you do anything I did in my life people can say well you're influenced by your friends no it wasn't, I did it they were, in fact they were probably more influenced by me but it's not an excuse, it's our nature. You see, mankind's tendency is towards sin. It's like a magnet to metal, it draws us sin. I told you many times about it, uh, when I was studying psychology for one of my degrees, they, they showed you this uh, research that had been done. And these two mothers brought these two toddlers two, three years of age at the most they brought them into the room, made sure the children were comfortable in that environment and the two mothers left. The room was full of toys and within about a minute, the two of them were fighting over one toy. That's, it's in our nature, that greed, that, you know, me and me only. We, our tendency is towards sin from where we're born. And you know, sin is also the denial of God's right to demand righteousness. Because in the beginning, God set boundaries for mankind to live by. And this is the story of Genesis 3 and the fall. And so when Adam sinned, he overstepped these boundaries that the Lord had set. And people by nature don't like to hear this. As I've said, they resent being told that they cannot do something. You know, with some people, when you tell them they cannot do something, it's like waving a red flag at a bull. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me how to live. I've heard that many times. I'm a good person. I live my life the way I want to live. And that's your tendency to sin just drawing you in. God must be first in your life, folks. He must be supreme. He must be absolute. And it must be unconditional love towards him. And that's how we can defeat sin. But if we don't have God first in our life, then we have that battle in our hearts. When men deny God's supremacy, they deny his very existence. Hudson Taylor, a very famous missionary, if you ever get any of his books, I would advise you to read them, they're very good. But he said, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And again, I've said this before, the most common word for sin in the Bible means missing the mark, missing the mark. Paul spoke of it in Romans 3, 23, to describe how people come short of his glory. It says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as you know, it's a word used to describe how an archer fails to reach his target. This young armor bearer, he's hiding somewhere safe, uh, watches him firing at the targets and if it's short of the target, he would cry out, uh, in Hebrew, not in English, you have sinned. In other words, you have fallen short of the mark. His arrow did not reach the target. And you know, when we fire our arrows of self-righteousness, when we fire our arrows of pride, when we fire our arrows of good works, our arrow falls well short of the target. Set by God. Set by God. We cannot hit that mark on our own strength. Romans 3, 11 and 12 reminds us there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And we go back to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we... Are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And of course, a very famous verse, Isaiah 53, verse 6 All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath led to him the iniquity of us all. You see, man can never find a way to redeem himself, and they have tried. And in different religions, if you study them, you will see that they are trying to redeem themselves to their God or to earn their salvation. They have to carry out some great deed, do some heroic act. And even within Christendom and the Dark Ages, many thought that they were earning their salvation by crawling up, these rugged steps on their hands and knees with their hands bleeding and their knees bleeding, thinking that they were earning their salvation. But man will never find a way to redeem himself by his works, by his sacrifices, and definitely by his self-righteousness. Man has not and never has had a remedy for sin. There's no remedy for sin. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, if you've never prayed and acknowledged your sinnership and asked forgiveness from the Lord, you are in your sin. And you might be a good person. You probably are a good person. Someone who wouldn't do anyone any harm. Someone someone who's always willing to help others. Someone who goes that extra mile, and that's commendable. But you know something? It doesn't pay the price for your sin. It says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Well, we've, got to give God, <clears throat> we've got to give God the glory this morning for there is a remedy for sin. You know, the Bible's very clear of the horrors, of the ugliness, of the ultimate hopelessness of sin. And people will never understand their need of salvation if they don't understand their sinful nature. Why do people do what they do? Why do they live the way they live? Because they don't understand their sinful nature. And they won't let their ego be harmed by saying their sin. Why do they live sexually immoral lives? because they're influenced by others and they don't understand their need of salvation and maybe is this as, uh, as God's people is this what we need to concentrate on we want people to come in and feel comfortable feel happy, feel blessed I wonder do we really need to let them know they're sinners you see we're too, we shy away from it we'd rather let them be comfortable first and and as we do, it's, it's our nature. We don't want people coming in here feeling uncomfortable and feeling unwanted and feeling bad. But we've got to let them know sin is sin. There is such a thing as sin. You can't just choose how you're going to live. Why so many young people today don't know what their gender is because they don't have a knowledge of sin. I can choose what I want to be. I can live as I want to live. I can be who I want to be. I thought it was funny, but when you think of it, it's not funny. Watching a very well-known news reader, presenter, whatever they're called. This individual was on talking about you can be what you want. And he says, okay, I'm a black lesbian. And you have to accept me as that. And that's how ridiculous it's got out there. But you know how it's got so ridiculous? Because men have no knowledge of their sinnership. And we need to let them know. You see, we need to let people know there's a difference between good and evil. There's a difference between light and and darkness. There's a difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. And it's not that we can make them live holy lives, it's that we can give them life and give them life more abundant. Lives are being destroyed. I told you about North Belfast, highest suicide rate amongst young men, and not only in the United Kingdom, I was told in Europe. That's across the water there, Belfast Lock. And it's not the only place affected by it. Up and down through England, anxiety, depression, All these things are happening because people are being destroyed by sin. People are being destroyed by sin and they have no knowledge of it. We need to teach people that there is a difference between good and evil and when they follow the good, their lives will be better. Their minds will be clearer. Their hearts will be full of joy. There's a difference between light and darkness. Light will give them life will give them a purpose. But darkness just brings destruction and death. And that's the important one. They need to understand a difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. If they continue in their sins, they will indeed be lost. We shouldn't excuse sin, excuse me, because the Bible drives the I don't think it's a proper word, so forgive me if it's not a proper word, but the abomin- abominable list of sin. Our hearts should be drawn nearer to God for the deliverance from sin. You see, there's help out there. When lies are being destroyed, there's help out there. When they begin to understand by the conviction of the Holy Ghost that what they're doing is destroying them, that there's no joy in it, they're drinking from broken cisterns when the well of salvation, which never runs dry, is there for them. You see, men must see that the only way out of all this is that Christ bore the penalty for the sins of the world. Men mock Jesus today. Men take his name in vain today. His name is used openly for rude jokes today. They think it's funny. But if they really realize what he did, the pain he suffered, the anguish, the thirst, and the death he died, when men begin to realize he did that for you, how many would do that? One who was sinless, one who had committed no sin, one who had done no harm, one who had healed many people of their illnesses and their diseases, many, uh, one who brought life to people, brought joy to people's lives, brought that connection once again with God that, that filled that gap that had been caused by sin. But no... It's someone who's going to make your life a misery and you're not allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that and you have to be so holy. And That's not Jesus. Jesus condemned self-righteousness. Jesus condemned phariseucalism. You see, we see and we know from Genesis 3 that sin brought a curse on sinners. But Paul said concerning that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He who knew no sin became sin for mankind to deliver us from that which is destroying us, to deliver us from that which will bring us into a lost eternity and grant unto us that free gift of eternal life. If men knew this, they would turn to him. And it's our job to let them know All of humanity's sin, think of it, was placed in him. And he remained the sinless, spotless sacrifice. Not a word of bitterness, not a word of revenge on the cross. Quite the opposite. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even on his death, he remained sinless and spotless, Lamb of God. And you know something, the reality today, whether people like it or not, and even sadly, some ministers deny this and they went publicly on, on television and said it. But without Jesus, there is no other hope for humanity. There's not several roads leaning to heaven, folks. Jesus says, I am. That means me. I am the truth, the life, and the way. There is no other way. There is no other hope for humanity. But the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, his sacrifice on our behalf, what did it do? It cleansed us from all sin. First John 1 and 7 said, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us from all sin. You know, there's no longer any sin there. It's like when you wash the, the dirt of your hands, they're clean again. Well, he washed our sins away. And the thing is, too, really, we'll, we'll sidestep a moment. We need to realize that person sitting beside us, on whom we hold a grudge, they've been cleansed from their sins. So why are you still remembering it? Because in God's eyes, it's not there. Oh, but you don't know. I know I don't know, but Jesus knows. And like I said last week, in the same way we forgive others, we will be forgiven. Sobering. I always think that's very sobering, that thought. His death on the cross, His sacrifice for us, cleanses us from all sin. And when we receive the light of divine truth, therefore, because we realize what God has done for us, then we walk in the light. When we do... God's power, God's love, God's wisdom keeps and blesses us through every trial every affliction and every temptation when we walk in the light but it doesn't say they'll take temptation away it keeps us from temptation you know before church and again I'll speak about myself and no one will get offended I didn't know I was doing wrong I thought I was doing right because I didn't know. But when God came into my life, I began to see I was doing wrong. I began to realize that I was living a sinful life. I wasn't the worst person ever born, by the way. But I was living a sinful life, trying to do things on my own. But when His power, His love, His wisdom came into my life, I was able to overcome them things. The things that would, would have tempted me that I'd have given into, I no longer give into. I could control that which I could never control throughout my life. And there's my wife, there's a witness. Especially with the alcohol in me, it was worse. Temper just like that. But you know, something from Christ came into my life, I've never had a problem with it. Because He's there, He strengthens us through every trial, through every temptation. Before, when I would have wanted to give you a Belfast kiss, I'll give you a wee handshake and tell you God loves you. God is good. You see, when sin came into the world, God's handiwork was marred and his plan for mankind was ruined. But when we repent from our sins, he's like the prophet said, he's the potter which takes the broken vessel and reshapes it and makes it a vessel of honor for his glory. Will you today let the potter take it? Oh, I give my life into the potter's hands. It's a wonderful song, that. But is it just words or is it a prayer? Because God can reshape your life. He is the potter, which has taken many broken vessels and reshaped them and made them vessels of honor for his glory. And we've had them in this church people whose lives were on drugs, even those that get mixed up in paramilitarism. God took their lives and reshaped them and they became vessels of honor and glory for the Lord. Those that once knew them could not believe how, how changed they were. I think I told you at a funeral, I officiated that some of my friends. Said you're a different person altogether. Some of my older friends. And I was able to tell them that God changed me because I couldn't do it. Potter takes us. But what makes us? What can destroy us? We need to be ever conscious. You know, the day you're saved, all your troubles don't stop. Sometimes they get worse. Sometimes the devil wants to stop you from the road you're taking. I found a very good thing recently on the internet. This botanist was speaking, and he asked a question. And he said, if the wormhole and the apple, he asked, does it start from the outside or from the inside? And of course, everyone answered from the outside. The worms crawl under the trees, up on their branches along the, and then they eat into the apple. But he replied, no, it doesn't. According to him, I'm going to tell you this, you'll probably go home and wash all your apples. <laughs> He replied that the egg from which the worm came was laid in the apple's blossom and the worm was hatched in the apple's heart and bore its way out. This is exactly how the worm of sin starts its destructive, deadly work in human life. That little seed is planted in your heart and it works its way out and reveals itself and it's deadly work in human life. And so the heart has to be sound because if it's not sound, the life will be distorted and the life will be mutilated. But on the other hand, where we use the, the, this little worm and the apple as an illustration of sin in our hearts, if we allow God's work, and that sounds strange saying allow God, but you know something? We have a part to play in our walk with God. You know, God just doesn't make everything easy for us. We have to trust him and go forward. And when he starts his work in our hearts and gives us new life and grants us eternal life as we put our faith in him, then we are granted eternal life in him. When? When we put our trust in him. You see, church, our initial text, one of them anyway, Romans 3, said a phrase It says there is no difference. All have sinned. And you know something, and I quote the Word of God, this is not my opinion, not what I think, it's the Word of God. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, if you're Asian descent, if you're African descent, if you're Mediterranean descent, if you're on the Isles of the Sea, and as we believe part of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know something? We have all one thing in common. We're all sinners. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, you're young or you're old, there is no difference. Outside of Christ, you are a sinner and you need salvation. You need to let God start his work in your heart. Many will tell you, In fact, even within what they call the B.I. message, there's many think as the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that we are guaranteed into the kingdom of God. Well, with greatest respect, I disagree with you. We were called to be witnesses to the glory of God. That's the blessing that we have as a nation to go out into all the world and preach the gospel and see men saved for the Lord. But you know something? we will not be saved by the merits of Abraham. Although he was a good man, we are saved by the precious blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's our prayer this morning as I ask the musicians to come back that everyone will know and own the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We'll have that realization. Brother, I was born into a Christian family. I grew up in a church. And that's all wonderful. And you know something, that's fantastic. It's a blessing from God, being brought up in a Christian family. But you know something, you still need to be saved. Your parents can't save you. Great, good people, they can't save you. You need that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just worship him this morning and thank him that we know him as our Savior. And if you don't, if you've never made that commitment, please come and talk to myself, uh, Pastor Comfort, one of our elders, a friend that brought you. And we'd just love to tell you more about the Lord. Could I ask the elders to come forward? We have our...